Smith and Jones back again for another week. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you as we take a look back to Game 3 of the NBA Finals on Wednesday night and look ahead to Friday night's Game 4 as the Golden State Warriors will now try to uh, at least get the split in Boston and pull even in the series. As Jonesy, it's kind of strange how these first couple of games have gone, at least two of the first three, where... In the first game and in game three as well, it was basically the same kind of script, the same type of blueprint, where it looked like Boston was blowing the doors off and going to run away with the game. Golden State puts together a crazy third quarter, puts themselves back in the mix, and seems to have momentum carrying into the fourth quarter before Boston only comes back to slam the door shut and have a monster final frame and ultimately pick up the victory. That's what we saw in Game 1. That's what we saw in Game 3 as well. And now it's a matter of Golden State figuring that out for Friday night in Game 4 if they can match the intensity in that final frame. As on Wednesday night, they were not able to do that. Steph Curry was knocking down everything, getting solid production clearly from from Clay Thompson as well. And then it looked like the Warriors could do little to nothing in that final frame and give Boston credit as well, no doubt for the defense they've played, for how balanced their roster has been, especially in that game three victory. The big three for the Celtics uh, really stepped up in a big time way. Tatum with 26, nine and six in terms of points, assists, rebounds, 27 and nine points, rebounds and assists for Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart with 24, adding seven rebounds, five assists and his defense on Steph Curry as well clamping down when it mattered most but in mentioning curry jonesy one of the other things i want to ask you is it's come up over the last 12 24 36 hours the lot of chatter about the dirtiness or lack thereof in al horford on wednesday night going after a loose ball and slamming into the leg of steph curry and of course we remember back in the early regular season or midway regular season when a similar-ish type play, loose ball, diving on the floor, bang, bodies tangled and banged up and whatever else, and Steph Curry ends up being injured and missing time. Word is now he'll be good for Friday night, he'll be good for game four, and, and, and not walking around noticeably with a limp since Wednesday evening, but still a lot of people, especially in, in Warrior Land, holding their collective breath, you know, keeping those fingers crossed that Steph would walk away unscathed. Steph's always had the ankle problems. Um, and, you know, I don't think Horford meant it, but Eric, you and I can think back to our days in, our, in the early part of our broadcasting tenure together when Al Horford was involved in a very serious collision and had T.J. Ford on the shelf for a long time. And, you know, people say he's not that kind of player, but... Jonesy, I'd forgotten about that. Look oh, at you going hey. back into the memory bank. I love it. And, 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 you know, people say he's not that kind of player, but... Okay, you're not that kind of player, but if you're involved in these incidents all the time, what kind of player are you then? What conclusions are people supposed to draw? Although, this one I'll say was not... It was, it was going for a loose ball kind of, uh, you know, scramble. I, I, I just... I think Steph did the right thing getting down on the floor. Uh, I don't think it was uh, akin to Steve Kerr talking about Marcus Smart going low on Curry that forced him to miss the last 10 or 12 games of the season. I, I don't think it was like that. But um, it speaks to the physicality of the playoffs. And, and can I say something at the risk of sounding like 
the old get off my lawn kind of guy. All the takes now from Draymond Green, who, by the way, ran his mouth and got one more basket than Eric Smith last night. Um, mind you, I would have put Eric Smith out there because he probably would have been a little bit tougher with his little sharp elbows. <laughs> um, that's, that's, another, that's another thing. But J.J. Redick and all these guys talking about, oh, the 80s weren't that tough. Hey, man. The league has the league has wanted the game to evolve from that, you know, when when the Knicks lost to Houston in the finals in '94 and it was 83-78. They they don't want that anymore. So you and I talk about it all the time on our broadcast. Everything's reviewed. Everything's a flagrant one. Back in Jordan's days in the playoffs, every foul that the Pistons fouled him would be a flagrant one or two in today's game. Mikhail clotheslines Rambus on a running, you know, a, a running clothesline looking like a, an NFL tackling a, a receiver in the open court. And, and it's just a two-shot foul. It was more physical then. Admit it. The era has changed. And here's where I'm going with this. To your point that you made out at the beginning, Eric, about Golden State not handling the physicality of Boston. It is and still remains and always will be a big person's game. And right now, the Warriors are having trouble because of Boston's big people and the size. And let's remember, the game went the way it did because nobody had big people to play that way with size. So what did we do? We got the mathematicians involved, and we started calculating true shooting percentages and effective field goal percentages and basically said... If I make two from behind the line, it's worth the same as your three dunks. And the game changed because nobody had big people and they started to shoot from behind the line. Well, Boston's playing with big people. Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams, uh, the physicality and the driving of a Jalen Brown, who, by the way, is the MVP of the series right now. There's a premium on big people. And playing big never goes out of style. If you're more skilled and you've got a Tatum or, uh, you know, a g guys that are that size that can play with guard-type skills, that's great. But they're still big people. So I, I think that's the biggest issue right now. And I'm wondering, I picked Golden State to win the series, but I'm wondering what adjustment Steve Kerr is going to make to deal with the Physicality. They got out rebounded 47-30 last night uh, or th uh, Wednesday night on on the uh, on the boards. What is he going to do to deal with the size and physicality of the Boston Celtics? I don't have an answer for you. Neither do I. I'm not. Yeah, and and and, and we always these... overreact, right? E? We yeah. always oh, overreact, true. like you know, like oh, Boston's like they're going to win this thing now. They, there's always a, a tinge of overreaction. So let's wait and see what happens on Friday night in the next game. But am, I, but am I wrong to think, Jonesy, when you're talking about size and physicality, and I know it's different size, different physicality, different you know styles, I suppose. Am I wrong, though, to think that I should be able to get a little bit more physicality, a little bit more size, a little bit more toughness from Looney, even from Porter? Like I'm not saying that they're going to shut down, stop completely, you know, d demolish Williams and more so Horford, but couldn't those guys bring that element a little bit more or no? Because I, I, I feel like they could or should. They, they can, Eric. Um, 
And Golden State has to be more physical, I think, defensively, not allowing the blow-bys. Um, you know, they've been hunting Steph Curry and going at him. And, uh, you know, Golden State's got to help him. Uh, he's, he's become a better defender, but you've got to do a better job at the point of attack. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe a Kaminga gets a, a chance as a young, bouncy wing to try and keep people in front, in front of him. Like I said, Draymond Green ran his mouth over the last two, three days. Uh, and, and, and Wednesday night in, in Game 3, it's not good when the biggest uh, stat in, in any category is six fouls. I mean, you know, Draymond Green, one of four, 0 for 2 from three, didn't get a free throw, four rebounds, three assists, one block, two points, six fouls. Like I said, one more bucket than E. Smith last, uh, in game three. Not good. Nope, not good. Not good at all. Well, a man that had a uh, bird's eye view of this one and uh, will be getting set to call the action for game four as well. Uh, longtime veteran voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy, joining us. Sean, thanks for the time tonight. I've learned by now, guys, that longtime voice is code for you're getting old. I okay, mean, well, let me let me ask come you this. Let me, let me ask you, you this. You guys know full well that the bird's eye view is the last Boston. There's like birds have better views than we have. <laughs> well, it, from, you guys it's, know it's, that. It's, it's, the, it's the ugly bird that's caught in the corner, right? It's the, it's the yeah. bird that's like at the back of the nest. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it, is a, it, is an, it is a strange angle. Go ahead, Jonesy. Sean, we would trade places with you in a heartbeat right now. And I was going <laughs> to ask you, I was going to ask you, how much fun are you having with, you know, with the only game on the board every night? Eric and I were there just a few short years ago. And gosh, it's got to be fun going to the gym every night. You know, and it's a flashback to, you know, I was lucky enough to get to do it in 2008 and 2010. What's interesting for me, and I'm getting, I get asked that question a lot, right? How much fun is it? My son is 10. So this is all new to him. And uh, seeing it through his eyes is a different experience. And it's a constant reminder that we're all older than we think we are. So this is new for a lot of people. And for some, you you think of Celtics and the championships and all the banners. If you were under the age of 43, 44, you won one championship as a Celtic fan and haven't been to the finals that much. So this is a new generation of Celtic yeah. fans to experience this. And, again, having a 10-year-old son is making me see it completely different. E, e I just want to jump in before you, you, you ask your question to, to kind of corroborate Sean's point. You and I went through that, and all of the people that were with us on our basketball journey when this team was 22-60, and 60, the Raptors, they were all yeah. blown away by the finals and the playoffs and the excitement around it. And as Sean says, it, it makes you think, like, it, it really gives you a perspective. Like, you're the only game going. You're the only game in town. Yeah. And, you know, you get celebrities showing up and, you know, <laughs> reporters from all over the world. And you think, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, when you look at that, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot. There's a couple of different versions of this sort of joke where you're looking at the out-of-town scoreboard and there is none. There's a second one when you're sharing hotels with baseball teams. Uh, instead of hockey teams, you, you know, you've, that's like you've had a pretty good year. Like all of a sudden, you know, the Red Sox were out in. Uh, so I, I bring it. I've already mentioned my son a couple of times. I, I flew back in between game one and two to bring him out to San Francisco. I always promised him if we make the finals, you're going to get to go. So I brought him to San Francisco for game two. And the Red Sox are out there. I mean, Alex Verdugo had gone to, I think, game one. And here's, you know, the, the Red Sox and the A's are playing in the afternoon. And the Celtics are playing in San Francisco at night. And the weather is really warm. 
like that's when you know all of a sudden like it's wow it's like 85 degrees and you're still doing your winter job it's uh yeah it's special and you're i think they having the time go by of 12 years since being in the finals and 14 years since winning that's a healthy amount of time to gain more appreciation for just how difficult it is to get here well, it's it's funny, Sean. I'm sitting back listening to you talk as well. And, and as ironic as it may be, three years ago, my kid was about two weeks away from turning 10. And I didn't bring yeah. him to the finals. I'm bringing him to San Francisco. So I hope my kid's not listening to the show because you're <laughs> making me look like a complete stiff to my kid. So so good good for you and taking care of your son in that manner. We're talking to Sean Grandy, the voice of the Boston Celtics. Celtics, of course, leading in the NBA finals, two games to one, getting set for game four on Friday night. Sean, uh, let, let's dig into it a little bit more here. I know you heard us a little bit in, in waiting to come on. Um, what I've said to Jonesy is it, I think at least games one and three kind of bookended what we saw in game two. And in games one and three, what did we see? Boston blowing the doors out early. Golden State making a comeback that nobody thought would happen. Just when they seem to grab some sort of momentum, Boston slams the door shut and has a monstrous fourth quarter and wins decisively. This has been a weird series thus far, and why do you think we've seen so many pro and con swings on both sides? Well, it's, a, it's going to be an unprecedented series when it's all said and done in terms of the number of three-point shots. And why, why is the games that we all do in the league we've been watching covering for so long, why have there been so many games like that? You know, when I first got in this league, when you got up by 15, the game was over. Now you get up by 15, that league could be gone in a minute and a half. Uh, particularly with Golden State last night, the Warriors scored seven points in one possession last night. <laughs> in 20 seconds, they went on a 7-0 run. So it's a different game because of the three-point shooting. Not just the high volume of it, but both of these teams. These were the two best defensive teams in the NBA this year. And they are both shooting better than 40% from three against the other team. So there's your dramatic swings in it. But obviously the difference in game two was what I guess we have to decide what we are calling physicality and what is not. Because physicality to me is being in front of your man, you know, creating, taking away their airspace, the, then there's the, the Draymond physicality, right? Which is, and Marcus Smart can do it too, which is you just muck the game up to the point where it's unrecognizable. And is that what, when Steve Kerr says we have to be more physical, what does that mean? Is it the game two physicality or is it, you know, the kind of defense they played all year? Sean, you know, Eric and I were talking about this and, and, and you've seen kind of the evolution. I mean, in, in that in Game 7 against the Lakers when the Celtics lost the 3-2 lead, that game was football. That, game in, that yeah. game in L.A. was just, the referees were just, they were spectators. Like that was the, might have been one of the roughest playoff games I've ever seen. And I've said it, it there's a premium on big people. Like I know everybody's shooting behind the line and shooting threes, but it always will be a big person's game. And with Tatum uh, and Horford and a limping Robert Williams, the size that they provide and, and what they're doing as bigger people, Golden State has no match for it right now. And maybe I'm overreacting. We tend to do that in the finals. Everybody that loses is desperate. And the team that won the last game, oh, they're going to they're gonna win this thing. But how, how does Golden State deal with the size, the, as you say, the physicality of of – of what Boston has, because a guy like Draymond Green, who's supposed to be doing it, like I said, he had one more basket than Eric last night. Yeah. 
And he's listen, and this is also this is not the Draymond Green of. I think we all are in awe of what the Warriors have accomplished. It is amazing that they got back here this fast, considering where they were two years ago. Clay, an amazing story coming off the injury, and that dude who dangles the mouthpiece is the best I've ever seen at the things that he does. It, you're in awe of what they do, and you know, obviously, Steve Kerr in addition to being the greatest coach of all time, we forget that he had the choice uh, eight years ago to take the head coaching job of the Warriors or the New York Knicks, which is not just the greatest decision in the history of coaching. I've often said it's the greatest decision in the history of decisions that he made <laughs> to take that job. Uh, you know, So we're, we're in awe of it, but I don't think we, people are truly recognizing because it took me a while to see what was happening when the Celtics started to dominate the way they did in the second half of the year. It could just be, we're talking about X's and O's and adjustments here and being more physical. How about the idea that the Celtics are a better team? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they have been throughout the course of the year, and they beat them up pretty good in San Francisco in March. And that's why this is, a, this is the matchup that is the nightmare for Golden State because the toughest guy to defend for them specifically and for a lot of teams in the league is a 6-7 wing two-way player who can score in many different ways, and the Celtics have two of them to try to deal with. And that's really difficult for any team, especially without great individual defenders, uh, you know, at that at those positions. So it's a tough matchup for Golden State, which is why they have to pack the paint and dare the Celtics. Game one got away from Golden State. And the people, well, these guys, the Celtics aren't going to shoot threes like that. Nor if every one of them is open. Those were go back and watch the fourth quarter. Oh yeah, uncontested three point shots, and you're just rolling the dice because Golden State can't defend Jalen Brown and Tatum and Horford at the paint unless they really pack it. So they just have to roll the dice and hope that Derek White and Al Horford don't make half their threes. And if they do, forget it. We're speaking with Sean Grandy, radio voice of the Boston Celtics, getting set for game four of the NBA Finals. Sean, you might have just answered this question, at least in part, but I'm still going to ask it anyways. Um, When you talk about what the Warriors have done and and marveling at where they are in in such a short fashion, and and you're bang on, I'm sure I speak for Jonesy, we agree with you wholeheartedly. But from a Celtics perspective, how did they get here? Because, again, I'm acknowledging the trump card of, well, they still have Brown and Tatum. But you also, like... He went from having Kyrie Irving to not having Kyrie Irving to having Gordon Hayward, and that maybe didn't necessarily work out or it wasn't the right fit, and then he moves on. Horford gone, Horford back, a different coach, but now the old coach is in the front office and a different GM, and Ainge is gone. I mean, there have been so many moving parts and shell games and key pieces, not just role players, key, key cogs, and yet here they are two games away from the championship. And three games under 500 midway through this right. year. Right. 11th, right. 11th in the Eastern Conference midway through the season. 18th best record in the NBA. And now, as you said, two wins away from an 18th championship. And it was, you know, really inconceivable when the year that everyone had targeted, the Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward buildup, you go to game seven of the conference finals without them in 2018, everything was built towards that 2019 season. That was going to be the Boston Golden State final that everyone expected was going to happen and that year was just a disaster and a lot of different i forget how that year ended up i forget who ended up winning that championship but you get the point that it, it got away that's how boston is once boston's out they don't care you know what happened in 2019 after uh you know after it got away from them i think that what's even crazier which when i don't realize you don't realize till you say it out loud dennis schroeder started for this team this year 
Josh Richardson was the sixth man for this team this year and played huge minutes. Bruno Fernando played 20 games for the Celtics this year. Joe Johnson played in the game for the Celtics this year. That's how much chaos there was with the roster and with COVID and with the new staff and everything this year. And, it's, you know, so the parts were there. But I don't, I don't think you can downplay Al Horford walking back into this organization as if he had never left, coming basically off a year off club med vacation in, you know, in Oklahoma City last year. So his body was healthy and his mind knew when he got back to the situation that this was a team that had a chance to do some real damage. And once they got healthy, that's why I'm not acting as surprised as other people are at the way the Celtics have played to this point and into the finals, because for nine weeks, almost 10 weeks late in the season, the Celtics weren't just the best team in the league. They were playing head and shoulders above everybody else and tying it all back to Golden State. When they won the first year, it's exactly how they looked through the year. But when they got in the playoffs and into the finals, people said, well, they're not going to win because you couldn't picture it because that group hadn't won yet. And we can't picture things really until they actually happen. But the reality is, if you look at all the projections and the numbers and the computer simulations, the reason the Celtics have been favored so heavily to win it is because they have the resume and they have put together a season that the teams that go on to win have. Sean, there have been, I think, five first-year coaches that have made it to the finals. Um, and, and there's been a run recently with, with, with Nick yeah. Nurse and Ime Udoka. And Eric and I get a, uh, a front-row seat to watch Nick do his thing. And he's the kind of guy that um, is not afraid to step outside the box uh, he is uh, he, in a copycat league. He, he kind of likes to be an innovator. I mean, with some of the stuff that he does, you know, Steph Curry called it janky when he played box and one in the NBA finals. You don't do that. Well, if it's going to work, I'm going to do it. Talk to us about Ime Udoka, who to me, when like when I listen to him, like this dude's out there. He's he doesn't he doesn't he's not trying to make friends. He says what he has to say. And at the same time. In doing that, he gets buy-in from his players. Talk to us a little bit about the methodology behind him getting this team to where it is. They trust him, and he brings a player's mentality. And I say that, you know, most people played, you know, end up at some level. But he carries with him, there's a player swagger about him and a confidence that he brings. And it's a combination that, you know, the brilliant coaches of our time, Greg Popovich, and listen, nobody here would ever suggest that Brad Stevens isn't a brilliant head coach and did amazing things. But it's funny because he and Brad philosophically are not that far apart. They're actually very similar in a lot of ways, and they carry themselves the same. But Ime was able to, from the beginning, by speaking truth to players from the first game. And I remember when you know, listen, the Raptors, as you guys know, came in here for the Celtics home opener and handed them one of their worst home losses in the history of the Celtics franchise. And after the game, anybody said, yeah, we got punked. They came in here and punked us. And nobody's heard that in eight years around here. And none of the players on this roster heard that. And people were just you know, like clutching their pearls. Like, I can't believe he said that. But that's what he said he was going to do. And so he has stayed consistent. He has been truthful. He's held himself accountable. And I think there was a the buy-in because of that. And when you had the whole market smart thing, which got overplayed, talking about Jalen and Jason and developing into you know being better passers and facilitators, 
there was no like panic in eBay. Whatever happened, and there was a lot of bad things that happened, unimaginable losses. You know, this team lost four games that they were up by 19. You know, in the first half of the year, they lost that game with the buzzer in New York, and it's just one thing after another. And eBay just stayed the course and said, "All right, this is what happened, and this is how we fix it." And then around him. When things started to fall better, health started getting better, COVID started to go away, you have your regular rotations, and the things he was saying all along worked, and you trusted him because of that, that was a a pretty healthy combination. Speaking with Sean Grandy, voice of the Celtics, getting set for game four of the final. Sean, we'll just keep you a couple more minutes here. We appreciate your time. Um, I'm sitting back listening to your, your description of things and, and, and specifically about, uh, about Udoka. And, I, and I'm wondering, Sean, you cover a lot of different sports. I know you're a fan of many other sports as well. Jonesy, I don't even know if I've even ever asked you this question. Do you think, Sean, and, and, I'm, and I'm totally, totally glazing like one you know, broad stroke to everything here, but do you think basketball more so than baseball, football, hockey, other sports, having played the game matters that much more? I think it does to younger players. Uh, and I think that there aren't a lot of young I mean, Football coaches don't tend to be young. They don't come right from the, you know, because there's a a hierarchy. It takes a long time to work your way up to become a head coach in football. I don't think it has that in baseball. I haven't really thought about it as much. Hockey's interesting that way. I think that younger coaches in general, it's funny when you talk about crossing sports, I always bring this up, that I found doing multiple sports 20 years ago and now is different, and that younger coaches, when I would go to, the Frozen Four, and I'd go broadcast hockey games, college hockey games. I'd have college hockey coaches asking me for Brad Stevens' number because they want to talk about philosophy. The boundaries are different. And I think that young, so younger people look at things a different way. So having a younger voice combined with somebody who played, I think does have a lot more value in basketball. Interesting. Interesting. I, 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 tend, I tend to agree, especially with because it's – it's such a young young man's game, and and when I look at, uh, you know, when I look at a Steve Kerr, and what he what he carries, because he played and he was on championship teams, and you know there there are so many of those examples around the league, Sean, that we can point to. Um, I, I you know what I really I really tend to agree with that. Yeah, so it, listen, it, there are a lot of. It's an interesting time to be a young, successful player in the NBA in a time in which players are so much more active socially at a time that it's never been more important to be that, you know, particularly in the United States. And I think that, you know, leadership takes on different – it's an interesting group in that Celtics room. I'll say that, certainly. And uh, I think – I was never a big believer in the you need a different voice but this may be one of those situations where we just saw Quinn Snyder step down right after a really successful run. And being an NBA head coach is a grind. And yes. the fact that Greg Popovich and Doc Rivers could do this for 20 years in a row, that, that boggles my mind in a, in a lot of ways. So I think that it was, you know, eight years, average NBA coach run is what, about two and a half years? And eight is a long time. And it might have just been the perfect time to make a change. And listen, Brad Stevens has always been ahead of the curve in pretty much everything he has done, right? And maybe we're going to look back at this and say, 
this was just a brilliant master stroke of him being ahead of the curve when a lot of people were caught completely off guard, but he knew it was the right time. Hey, Sean, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, best of luck moving forward, and uh, we're hoping for you to, to have a little bit of bling on that hand in a couple of weeks. All the best. Well, we're looking forward to coming back. We miss uh, we miss the city. Uh, you guys know how I feel about the city of Toronto, and uh, it's going to be it's when we finally get all this nonsense put behind us and we're back to normal life. We're, we're going to be excited about it. Can't wait to get back. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, thanks, Sean. Big. There's Sean Grandy, uh, radio voice, veteran radio voice of the Boston Celtics. And uh, I will say this: I mean, he's gone now. I'm not. I'm not speaking, you know, ill or bad about him, Jonesy. It pains me. It pains me to say, like, I'm pulling for you and, and, and pains me to give credit to the Celtics because as a guy that grew up on the Showtime Lakers, obviously the Celtics are the heated, hated rival. But it's hard not to like what this team is, how they're comprised, how they play on both ends, how they're coached, how they come together. Like, there's a lot to like, and I, ugh, I feel dirty just saying it. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, uh, I, I, I'm one of those guys that when my team's out of it, I don't really care who wins. If I was in it, then I hope that the team that beat me won it all so I can say a loss to the champs. But, uh, you know, I was one of those guys when I was playing and we were like, it's, we're out, okay, let's go home. I never went back to the gym to watch if we lost in the quarters. I never went back to watch the semis or who cares. It wasn't me. If you're not the lead dog, the view's all the same. So, um, you know what? I mean, if you're the Raptors, it just shows you, though, how fine a line, how thin a line there is uh, between, you know, that ultimate success. It, it's, it's, that, it's that close. I mean, when you think about the battles that Toronto and Boston had this year and how well Toronto played against them. And, you know, Boston's got it going at the right time and improved. And, uh, you know, they're two wins from a championship. All right, let's step aside. When we continue on Smith & Jones, we're going to be joined by our friend, our colleague, longtime Toronto Raptor Alvin Williams, up next on Smith & Jones. Oh, yeah, that was just contested shots. That, if that's X's and O's, then I don't, you're reaching for something. It's all good, though. Keep going. <laughs> reaching heavy. The only thing, you find that they are taking X's and O's away from your, your podcast. Uh, well, the only thing you said is um, White, Smart, and Horford. Hmm. I'm not trying to blow it up. I, nah, I mean, you, you went for it, but hey, respect. Well, that was Draymond Green after Game 3, getting into a little bit of a back and forth, and we've seen more and more of that, it seems, not just in this postseason, Jonesy, but specifically in the finals. And perhaps it's because Draymond does have a very, very popular podcast. By the way, Smith & Jones has a podcast. You can get it anywhere, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. The Draymond Green podcast is a popular one in Canada as well. It's, it's um, becoming not so strange these days to have not just current players having their own podcasts and platforms to be able to um, voice their opinions, to uh, interview fellow players, former players, 
current and former coaches and other broadcasters and writers and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's, it's the world we're living in now, but we're also seeing in the midst of regular season games, playoff games, current players like Draymond, like C.J. McCollum, and many others that are signing contracts to work for broadcasters like ESPN, like TNT, and others. And I'm not here to say that it's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but I think it has somewhat muddied the waters uh, in terms of how um, relationships are handled, how uh, the code of conduct, quote-unquote, is handled among players. Like, let's go back to that uh, previous round, Jonesy, when when Udonis Haslam and P.J. Tucker uh, were taking exception to words that Draymond Green said, when C.J. McCollum, after Game 3, is waiting in the hallway, as the president of the Players Association also, we should note, McCollum, standing in the hallway to make sure they told Draymond Green that, hey, before you hear it somewhere else, I picked the Celtics to win this series. And Draymond kind of having a fun little clap back chat with CJ in the hallways about, hey, don't worry, these guys are going to be ringless just like you. Like there's, it's, it's, I don't know where I stand on the issue because I don't want to be guilty of like, hey, leave it to us, we're the broadcasters. No, like the, the no. door is open, come on yeah. in. But at the same time, it's, it does create, like I say, muddied waters or blurred lines in terms of player, former player, current player, and what could or shouldn't be said, and what does or doesn't break the bro code or the player code, et cetera. Uh, you know what? I'm 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 okay with all of it if they're willing to say stuff that, as you would put it, Eric, quote, breaks the code, unquote. Then fine. I mean, we want we want honesty. A lot of times, sure, you know, yeah. we get stock answers, and people go, "Well, he's answers fraught with cliches." But when a guy says something and puts himself or puts it out there. People are like, oh, can you believe what he said? No, 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 no. Take that and run with it because the guy speaking his truth. I don't have a problem with that. And uh, you know me, I've always said this. I'm always partial to somebody that has that experience. Uh, it, it's, it, it, to me, it, it means more. And, you know, I, I know we're, we're going to get Alvin on the line soon, but like last night, I was, as, I was disappointed in Draymond Green. I was disappointed with all him, all that he had to say on his podcast and, you know, uh, kind of like, I don't know, for lack of a better term, running his mouth about uh, the Celtics and this and that. And he admitted it after the game in his postgame news conference. But when you talk like that, you better show up. And And my question would be, you know, or is to people like Alvin or, hey, is is that is that taking away? Is that deterring? Like, like does the line get blurred to the point where he he's losing the concentration and focus on what he's supposed to be doing? I, I don't have a problem with the jabs with C.J. McCollum or they'll be ringless or whatever. And you know that that's it's kind of like their own private conversations gone public. And I don't I don't have a problem with that. And if they don't have a problem putting it out there, then I don't have a problem accepting it. But do your job when you're when you're, you know, when you're uh, when you're in your venue, when you're in your arena. And let's be respectful to the people that went before. I have an issue with guys saying, "Oh, in the '80s, you know, you guys, the guys in the '80s played against um, 
plumbers and U-Haul drivers or whatever. No, no, no. No, that was the best of that era. And you have what you have because of what happened in that era. So don't get it twisted in that way. And there are guys that could play in this era that could play in the 80s, maybe not with the same success, and vice versa. There are guys who could play in this era from the 80s and 90s that would develop their skills, maybe not with the same success. So that's, that's not an issue. Just don't respect one era over the other and admit the differences. It is far less physical now than it was in 85 or 92. It is because the league doesn't want it that way. They don't want that stuff. You go back and look at the highlights of fists flying with Barkley and Lambeer and Mahorn and Xavier McDaniel literally choking Wes Matthews. Like that's the way it was back then. And there are some guys that couldn't handle that now. The same way there are some guys in the 80s that probably couldn't handle the way the rules are now and maybe the skill level. So don't compare eras, but at least respect people from the different eras. Yeah, and Jonesy, listen, you know, and I say this respectfully, you're a little bit older than me. I'm, I'm no spring chicken by any sense either. The thing that I hate about stuff like this, and, and not just in basketball, in any sport, is if you gave the athletes from the 80s, let alone from the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, or whatever, in any sport, the amount of privilege that today's athlete has, the amount of access that today's athlete has to nutrition, to you know, body science, to technology, to equipment, like, like put on a pair of, you know, insert shoe here, Absolutely. put on a pair of, you know, high top chucks and tell me which one you're going to have uh, a, a better, you know, a better vertical leap in, a better, better vertical jump, let alone have less impact on your knees, on your ankles, on your joints, etc. You know, give me uh, the, the dude that was smoking in the, in the locker room because nobody seemed to care or know or, or turn a blind eye to it and eating a steak dinner every night versus somebody that's got a private chef at home and or in the locker room and has not put an ounce of alcohol or any foreign substance into their body in years upon years upon years and has probably grown up like that since 12 years old as a fine-tuned condition athlete with 17 assistant coaches and 45 trainers and nutritionists. Like, come on, if we gave those people the same type of access, it would be a different time. If you today right now were flying commercial in a pair of chucks, which, by the way, I wear every day, so I'm not down on chucks, but flying commercial in a pair of chucks with no chef with one coach, with no nutritionist, with no massage therapist, with no nothing, on a fraction of the salary, how good do you think you'd be? How, how, how great of shape do you think you'd be in? Like, you have to pay that respect, big time. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you, Eric. I mean, you know, just your point about the shoes and what happens with the ankles and the knees and everything else that we've learned uh, through sports science. So... It, you know, I, I mean, there are some people that say if, if Michael Jordan had what he had, what they have today with his drive and the rules, yeah, he could average probably 40 a game. I don't know if his teams would win because maybe the supporting casts are better. And one generation, I always say this, one generation begets the other. Tiger Woods may not win another major because he's created Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas 
and all, like all of these swashbuckling young guys that came about because of the way he changed the game. The same way, Michael Jordan would be great, but could he beat all the guys that he created, all the guys that watched him, all the people that are now 6'8 point guards that magic broke the mold? You were that big in that era? Get under the basket. Like, so, so all of this stuff. Um, and and I, just, I just don't think you can, you know, as you say, disrespect a generation. Yeah, I you know I, I I was I was a little bit taken aback by that. Here's the other thing too I want to bring up with with Draymond Green Jonesy and folks. Let's be abundantly clear. It's not like Toronto, and I, and I'm not calling anybody out here. I'm not throwing our fans under the bus at all. But it's not like Toronto hasn't done this. It's not like every other market in the NBA and in pro sports hasn't done this at some point. I've heard f bombs. I've heard foul language. I've seen fans going after uh, players on personal attacks i've seen them go after players that are injured whether you knew they were hurt or not at the time let's i mean people to this day still bring up how many toronto fans reacted to kevin durant's injury in the finals three years ago that said and i don't want to sound like like jonesy you've been around me i'm no choir boy either but i can tell you going back to whether i was 10 20 30 40 years old whatever it may be when I'm allowed to be a fan and take off the professional hat and be a fan, I have never once F-bombed a player. I've never once cursed and sworn at a player as a fan. Like I, I, to me, I think most of, the, most of the razzing that goes on from fans and the catcalling is just lame and cheeseball anyways. But the fans with the relentless F-U Draymond Green throughout Game 3... I didn't with, like it. Like, I mean... And, and, and I know Draymond's wife said this on, on Instagram. And listen, Draymond isn't by any means a choir boy either, and you see the language that he uses, and I'm sure at some point it's even been directed at fans. But when you have hundreds, if not thousands of people, entire sections, with a bunch of children around, with a game on national television in the NBA Finals, and you've got an arena chanting out regularly, not just once or twice, but regularly, incessantly, F you Draymond Green and you're supposed to have a code of conduct that the fans are supposed to you know, abide by, uh, man, it was a bad look, and I didn't like it at all. I did not uh, like I it. I know he's created a, some of his own issues, but I thought that was going too far, and I don't know how you stop it because you're not going to be kicking out thousands of people, but do you need the PA announcer making a, a warning? Do you need – because I will say, too, Boston is or has, in the past at least, had a reputation for being somewhat like that, and there's also – whether this plays into this or not, there have been over the years, over the decades, many times, many examples of the racial undercurrent that exists at times with some in the city of Boston as well. Yeah, no, and, and I'm 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 against I'm against it. I'm against those kind of chants. You know, uh, I um, I don't like it. I don't. I, you know, you know my stance on profanity, and like I said. You know, I'm not perfect, and I'm not saying the odd uh, the odd word doesn't come out that I'd like to take back and put it back uh, down my throat. But uh, I I just don't think. I mean, there's that's where it leads to crossing the line, where a whole section's doing it, and then one guy thinks it's okay to say something, and then the player reacts, and the guy gets kicked out, and we we get into that. Like you're right, E, in terms of 
enforcing the code of conduct. Um, you know, and, and it, even, it even goes that way on the court. Like if we're giving technicals for taunting, then give double technicals for guys using language like that on the court. And, you know, try to keep it tight. I'm not saying it's going to work all the time, but at least you're setting a standard. You, yeah. you really are. And that, it bothers me. It bothers me when those chants are out there. What are you teaching the 10, 11, 12-year-old kid that goes to the game? Oh, this is okay? This is acceptable? And I, that part of me will never, ever look at that and say it's okay. Um, on that topic, after game three, here is Clay Thompson. Um, it was not a factor. We played in front of rude people before, dropping F-bombs with children in the crowd. Real classy. Good job, Bob. Okay. So short, sweet, to the point. And I, I, I think he kind of made the point that we were making that, Yeah. okay, they might be used to it, but it doesn't show a whole ton of class. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point too, Jones. It's one I know we've discussed at, at various points uh, over the course of this show and, and many other broadcasts over the years. When we speak about the fans and the code of conduct, you brought up the players and the way that they talk to each other and more so the officials. And there has to be, or I shouldn't say has to be, to me there should be, and I ask you because you've played at a significantly higher level than me, can there even be some sort of rule or or code of conduct of what is or isn't acceptable? And the reason I ask that is what I'm willing to let somebody get away with might be way different than what you're willing so, to get let somebody get away with. So if I'm going into a game and I'm Draymond Green or I'm, I'm Marcus Smart, if I go up to Courtney Kirkland and I get pretty fiery and animated, and I might even drop a couple of curse words, nothing happens. But I go up to Tony Brothers or Scott Foster, and I get teed up. It's like, okay, so are we, are we assessing and officiating personalities or emotions or what is or isn't acceptable? Because if I use the F-bomb, is that a tech? But if I only say SH blank, then that's okay? Like... Is there a way that it can be done so we know as players, let alone as fans, what is or isn't acceptable and where that line truly is? Uh, it, it's, it is. It, that's tough. Um, because, and you know my line, Eric, it's, it's hard to legislate emotion out of the game. Yeah. And um, there are times when a guy dunks on somebody and he, he stops and he poses and he looks at the guy and he gets a T for taunting when, in fact, that's like, Oh, I got you. You thought you were going to get me, but I got you. And that's all that look says. Or like, oh, you didn't think I could do that, huh? I got you. And, and, and there's a T for taunting. Uh, I, that, I, you know, those are the ones that I, I say you let go. But when, it's, uh, when there, it's, it's obvious venom with a little bit of juice to it and, and has some malicious intent or personal uh, ramifications, that's when I think you draw the line. And I, it's a hard judgment to make. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I guess knowing the personalities too, E, to your point, sometimes the officials do referee personalities. And you're going to let some stuff go that's from some guys and 
it's personal, and it may, may border on humorous, that you let go. Whereas if something has, like I said, a malevolent intent to it, you got to call that. But uh, that, that it's, it's tough to legislate that. E. I don't know if you can, but I think that's where you just have to trust the judgment of the officials. Well, I just know that I could never be an official because you know me, Jonesy. First impressions, they sit with me forever. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I admit, I'm either confident enough or arrogant enough to say I'm rarely wrong. When I meet somebody and I get my first impression, it's rare in life that I've been wrong. And if I don't like you or if I like you, your leash is either going to be longer or shorter for a long time. And if you got under my skin early, man, that would carry with me forever. So yep. I would not be able to be an official. No chance. I was, I was no a bad chance. ref. I was yeah. a bad ref. I knew all the rules, but... I wasn't taking squat, and uh, that, as Sean talked about, that player's mentality sometimes came out. So, um, hey, toughest job in the world, and uh, glad that we have such a great officiating uh, crew and, and, and fleet in the NBA. All right, Game 4 NBA Finals coming up on Friday night. Thanks again to our guest, Sean Grandy, for joining us. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, rate, and review. Have a good one, folks.